10,000 years ago. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. I'm just here at the beginning to let you know that the yearly charity drive on RPG Crossing kicks off today. If you haven't seen it already, go check it out. There is a site announcement somewhere. (laughs) As you know, I do my research. I put the time in. But let me tell you just a little bit about what's going on this year. Donations will go to the Brain and Behavior Research Foundation. The goal this year is to raise over $3,100 to beat last year's record-breaking total. And to do that, there are some benefits to you as a listener and a donator. $5 of every new or renewed one-year community supporter membership will be donated, and you can donate freely. If you donate $10 independently or renew, get a new, or gift a community supporter membership, you also will receive special prizes. So, check out the Membership and Charity Drive. This is the ninth year. We want to do this even bigger than last year. And from now until December 20th, member Rukalian matches all donations. There may be a maximum, but we have yet to hit it. So let's try. Let's try and be so generous that they have to say, I'm sorry, I can't do anymore. Because that is the goal. And with that, strap in. Because it's time for another episode of RPGX Radio. Lollipop, lollipop, oh, lolly, 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 lollipop. Oh, hi there. You caught me while I was in the middle of singing one of my favorite songs. (laughs) Oh, hi there. We were just practicing for our upcoming musical. (laughs) Gotta make it to regionals. RPG on the crossing. More like RP Glee. Oh, hey <laughs> That's lead singer King Monkey over there. That's something no one asked for. <laughs> I know we were joking around about how people need, desperately need our opinion. They just don't know it. I will cop to that. No one needs that. No one needs me leading the RP Glee Club. RP Glee It's going to happen, though. Uh, I mean, it's gonna, it has I've to said happen it. now. It's going to manifest need, at one point. We just need to know. find two more people, and, and then I can work with Autotune, and we'll sound good. It's going to need a lot of auto-tune, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to sound great either way, because Fantastic. I know the rest of y'all aren't good singers, but I am. I, what I lack in talent, I make up for in completely unearned confidence. Oh, all this time I thought Edric was a character. It's just you. The mask is off. <laughs> Welcome to RPG Crossing Radio. Welcome. <laughs> I'm Simmy. That's my co-host, King Monkey. King Monkey. Cool. Just making sure I'm on the same page. I know who I am. I know who you are. Oh, wait. No, no. you got to introduce yourself. I'm talking to the other person over there. I know what I am. I know what they are. So <laughs> you know what you are. <laughs> I've been called a number of things, but I've got a list. <laughs> Do you check it twice? Who has time? Who has time to spell check? I mean, come on. I would like to point out, though. Point it out. I know that um, we have had readers point out. Readers. Readers. Yep, readers. Might as well quit at this point. (laughs) Readers of this podcast have pointed out how much they appreciate our laser-focused professionalism. And I would just like to take this moment to say we recognize what you like, and we're happy to give you more of that. Yeah, I mean... That is the outcry from the general public. More Not rambling. More RPG rambling. Crossing. They, they say, like, the topics are fine and all, but when you guys get off topic and when you meander, that's the gold content. Oh, and so we hear you. Mm-hmm. You are heard. We are taking that into consideration as we plan future content. We are fully aware of what you are saying, and we are giving you what you deserve. That is 100% true. Mm-hmm. Your just rewards. <laughs> oh, got something in your throat there. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, it was those frog legs, I think, right? Oh, it's, I did that once where I was uh, DMing a, a werebear, and I decided to come in with this full-on gnarly voice. It's like, welcome to our town. <coughs> oh, God. Yeah. This is the voice I committed to. Mm. 
Yep, I was practicing for a game, and I was like, oh, this dragon's going to have an awesome voice, and it's going to be, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're going to pre-record this, and I'm going to modulate the voice down, and we're good to go. (laughs) You come into the lair of Hairball the Dragon. Oh. Yeah, you make the you make those decisions. You're like, I'm committing to it. It's a stupid thing to do, but there it is. <sighs> kind of like opening a can on an audio podcast in the middle of you talking, right? Our readers will never know. For for just a random example that doesn't have any bearing on anything. I don't know what you're talking about. These allegations are entirely baseless, Your Honor. I've got the form right here. I am ready to fill it out. Ooh, if it's the power of the form. I, then I yield. I capitulate before your mighty documentation. All hail the mighty legalese! I had someone who played a paladin of law in one of my games, but it was a comedy-themed game. So he was full-on a paladin of law, like all the proper forms and everything. It was pretty good. So, what the hell do we do on this? Yeah, thing? so we probably should get into something. Um, let me look at the outline here. Mm-hmm. Uh, grocery shopping. Wait, I, I, I think I hear something. And you get some gas. I think I hear something in the corner of my pointy ear. It's, it's, Wait, uh, are you an elf? It's, uh... Are you a Shadowrun elf? Oh, you got me. I glitched Your my... Your name blo- is spelled... <laughs> I glitched my con roll. <laughs> oh, wait, but did you succeed or fail? Mm, both. Because I found out, yes. you can, you can glitch and succeed, apparently. I, su- I succeeded. Six sailed. Okay. Yep. <laughs> but what are your, your your pointy ears here? I think it's a verb. Oh, hmm. oh, what's he saying? Uh, I don't know. Something about get to work, you lazy... Oh, I can't read that part. Uh, they Wait, sm- I thought you could hear it. You're, no. Now you're reading it? Are you lying to me? I'm synesthesic. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only that, lie. That was again. good. That was good. (laughs) Or anesthetic, I guess. Wait, what? All right, you know what? We're going to get to the verb of the week, then. (laughs) Because we're going down a hole. We're going down a hole. It's not great. It's not great. Yeah. And I've got a random verb for you today. You've got a random verb? Oh, I've got a verb, sunshine. I've got it ready and loaded right in front of me. Oh, no, you've been threatening this. And it's probably the one time I'll do it, because otherwise I'm going to forget. <laughs> you probably only remember because we spent so long talking about other <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Your verb this week, decide. Hmm. Can you use it in a sentence? No, that's yours. <laughs> Dang it, I thought I'd get you on that one. <laughs> Although, you know, you could have used, can you use decide in a sentence, and that would have been the, the technicality, right? I was... Not, I was going for the comedy, not the cop-out. Come on. Come on. Always on the cop-out. Always be cop-out. <laughs> ABC, always be copping out. It's a dash in there. Yeah. Copping dash out. It's Cop- one word. Copping dash It counts. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm having trouble deciding what to say. Hmm. Well done. Well done. Okay, I got my, I got my sentence. Oh, okay, we're done with that bit. Moving on. Wait, I didn't say my sentence. <laughs> the power is in the other hand now. <laughs> oh, crap. I accidentally stopped my recording and deleted everything. <laughs> Whoops. Better start over. I dropped an editing knife on your entire bit, jerk. <laughs> Wait, I didn't, did I? No, I didn't. <laughs> well, I won't know until the episode comes out one way or the other, so... Yep, and I have to re-record with your, your special voice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sammy, I'm so happy to be here! I'm King You know, Bucky. I tried that for a couple minutes before we started recording. I'm already, like, it's already sore. I can't, um... <laughs> I remember we talked early on in these uh, episodes about how I cannot do a convincing high-pitched voice. So that's... That was my effort. It was pretty embarrassing. Oh, it was embarrassing. I'm I'm sad that I didn't get it recorded. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that I'll can easily be conned into recording it later on for something. Hey, uh, we're gonna interject Mickey Mouse into the scene. King Monkey, why don't you tell me what he says? <laughs> Spotlight. <laughs> yeah. Time to oh, show. Quick, run! I must get into it. You found my one weakness: <laughs> Un- unwarranted attention. 
<laughs> you found my one weakness. Sorry. I'll do anything. <laughs> you found one of my weaknesses. <laughs> you found my one weakness. Everything. The limelight. It's all about me. That's not justified. Hmm. No. No, no. But we've been talking about world building. We have, yes. And you know what? We're not even going to talk about that today. Because nope. for the first time, and I can't even imagine how long, we are not going to end on a downer note. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Ooh, yeah, you're right. We have to do uh, an episode about what happens when you get copyright claims because your world is too close to an existing property. Is that going to be one of our 22-minute apologies where we're yeah. just like, we, we start to say of, something. Now it's 22 minutes of disclaimers that this does not constitute legal advice. Under no Despite the fact that the sword that emits a beam of energy sounds a lot like a licensed property, it is definitely not intended such. And because it is a mouse creature with big round eye, big round ears and talks in a high-pitched voice, it is not it does not intrude upon right. licensing intellectual of property. the Disney Corporation. No, Mr. Martin, this is the ironic throne. It's, it's, it's the bronze throne. It's, bronze see, throne. it's it's not... Technically, it's actinium, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, it's stone. Those those swords were all turned to stone before they were put into the this tasteful stone. arrangement behind the chair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the iron stone. Wait. <laughs> wait, wait! The stone throne? The bone throne? <laughs> it's a very different type of role play that we're engaged in at this point. <laughs> Whoa! I Probably was talking necromancy. Terms of what were you talking about? <laughs> but no, so we're I've talking about now. I've already forgotten, if I'm being honest. So <laughs> we're talking right. now about using that world that you've taken the time to create and then putting stories into it. So right. just like everything, what you do here may actually change the way you're, you build your world. Because you mm -hmm. may decide, oh, this arc needs this kind of thing. It's not already in the world. Well, the nice thing is you're planning it. So you can still go back and say, well, the world needs to be a little different here. Yeah, and it can be yeah. a wholesale change, or it can be, okay, let's work backwards. How did this thing that I need here come to be here? And that can also generate more story for you. Yeah. Always always be prepared to flex, because this is the part, until you've got a game actually started, you have complete freedom to change, add, disregard anything you want. You know, and then well, even right after the game has started. Within reason, yeah. Until you've actually introduced something yeah. to the players, That's you can change whatever. Because uh, I've been doing Don't change that it after game. the fact, though. Like, don't change it yeah. after you've already... Yeah, that's just a question of continuity and good storytelling, right? Yeah, and that hurts the players because there's already an element in role-play games of you can't necessarily expect them to do literal puzzles, but if you're giving them hints about what's going on in the wider world, but then you're changing all that behind the scenes... Things that they should be figuring out from what you've been telling them. Yeah. They just, they have no anchor to the story itself. Right, right. So try and keep everything relatively concrete once the players have run into it. And I would say, depending on how you want to build your story, like if you want to build a story and then bring the players into it, you're going to go about this differently than if you're telling a story while the, with the players kind of in tandem. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep, for sure. It's absolutely uh, cooperative storytelling, so don't discount your player's contribution towards world building. Oh, yeah. Like, well, and, and don't don't discount seeing something as an awesome idea in another place and going back and be like, oh, that makes this thing work really mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, Perfect exactly. example is I've been listening to an actual play, and there is a creature who acts as portals between different realms. Okay. Like, it's a whole creature who's been gutted and turned into this interplanar portal. Okay. And I like this idea, and I've heard it for a while, and it just kind of bounced around in my head. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my goodness, that fits perfectly into this slot that I, I knew needed to be filled by some magical means. But okay. if I use it this way, it creates the continuity that I needed. But I haven't introduced anything that would give them a hint about that. So it was okay for me to go back and say, okay, yeah, yeah. and that slots here and here and here perfectly, fills in these gaps that they haven't discovered yet, and it gives me more concrete feel of what's going on. Sure, yeah. It, it made me think of uh, Doorman from Great Lakes Avengers in Marvel Comics, who character whose body is like human-sized, but it's um, as soon as he steps up against something, he is a portal to the other <laughs> side of that thing. 
which is a bit of a problem if you bump into him while he's not standing against something, then you're just going to fall into him. into the. So he's always a portal, but if he yeah. steps into a wall, he becomes a portal through to that, that wall. wall. Huh. Uh, but if he's not tethered or anchored to something, he's a portal into the Dark Force dimension, which is a Marvel uh, um, alien realm. Man, but that yeah, sucks. I like the idea of... I, I like the idea of finding things that can fit, like, uh, you know, even if it's something you, you've cribbed from a movie or from someone else's game, uh, but always try and make it your own thing. Don't just make it, this is the creature from that game, or this is the glaive from the movie Crawl. You know, try and at least uh, wallpaper it in your your own uh, your own world, right? Definitely. And, and, and some of that will happen naturally, because... You know, taking something from a movie or a book and plugging it into a mechanically driven RPG necessitates some change. I would shy away, not completely, but generally from the hand waving. Well, it can do that because, well, and and here, I, generally, what I like to think of is if my players got this, would yeah. I be okay with that? Right. And if you're saying, yeah, then yeah, go ahead and do that because. That's what you always got to assume. The players are going to get it, going and they're to, going to yeah. mass produce it and use it against you in the worst way possible. I've got to. I'm going to have to deal with that in my game because we've got um, we've got an organization called the Good Hunt. Uh, they are basically rich upper crust people from all around the world who are engaging in a most dangerous game type of situation where they pay money to the Good Hunt uh, to the organizers of the Good Hunt, and then they use these purple gems that allow them to possess a creature or person somewhere on the planet, and through them, they hunt other people, um, just as a ultimate rich people thrill kind of thing. And they're all, they know that they're also sort of tracking devices that the other people can use it to see through the other, uh, like the rich people can use it to see through the other side, and they haven't gotten their hands on one yet, and um, actually for a short time they did, but they didn't know what to do with it, but I'm going to have to come up with the mechanics uh, Kind of after the fact in this case. <laughs> so that's that's why you got to be careful with stuff like that as much as possible. And again, you know, it can you can take it or leave it. If you're more comfortable with improving in the moment, you can be a little looser with some of that. But yeah, when you can plan it out, imagine what the players would be like using it. Imagine it being used in the worst way against you possible, yep. and think, yeah. would you be okay with that? Yeah, it's a good idea to have some backup rather than just the power of plot compels you. Right. Oh, definitely. And I, I will even go go the other way and say, if you feel your characters are just kind of being lemmings, and oh, that's a plot point. Okay, I'll just follow that, and I'll be, I'll just follow that. Throw more stuff at them. Someone dropped all these shiny plot points on the ground. I'm gonna pick them all up. Throw other stuff at them, or break mm -hmm. the, the the linear nature of the plot up into a few things, so they they get the feeling to explore more because. It's actually boring. Yeah. Well, in our world, uh, the Good Hunt are unrelated to the plot. They are just oh, cool. a whole third party that they don't even fully know about. They're they're trying to um, they're trying to deal with arms manufacturers and arms merchants called the Red Hand, um, and they're working on that. And they've just had tiny little interactions with the the Good Hunt uh, without any understanding of what they're being subjected to. So. Yeah, having ha, not having not everything be plot related is a useful tool as well because the world isn't exclusively one plot, right? Oh, definitely not, and definitely like you can even if you have a big one big antagonist that's kind of the ultimate goal. There, there should be. I mean, it's like in a video, some way in like a video game, you have to have some mini bosses along the way. Yeah, because the big antagonist, unless they're completely blind, isn't going to just sit back and be like, "Oh, look, they're coming for me." Oh. Look at right. them getting all that power. Oh, look at that. They're following that. They, they overcame that, and they've secured the, the big, awesome artifact. The only thing that can defeat me. No, they're going to send people at you constantly. Or there's going to be people who want it for other reasons, like maybe a group of elves who are trying to control all technology in the world, for a random example. Yeah, we have, it's completely out of nowhere. Yeah, because they're not just going to sit back and say, oh, look, the... The heroic party has visited the Temple of Plot, and now they have the artifact of Climax! Wait a minute. What? <laughs> Roll that back. Delete mm -hmm. it. Let's what? try that again. <laughs> artifact of denouement? Of <laughs> Is that what you call it? Is that what the French call it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, those dirty Frenchies. <laughs> eh bien, je ne sais pas ce que tu dis. Qu'est-ce qui se passe là? 
Pourquoi tu... Euh, pourquoi tu as dit les mauvais mots à propos de les Français ici? You're not the one French music artist that I listen to, so you shouldn't speak French to me. I'm not the only French music artist in the world. No. Stromae is the only French music artist I listen to, so sorry, you're, you're not him. Papa Ute keeps coming up on my playlist on Spotify. I must <laughs> listen to that more than any other song. It's now. so good. Have you seen the music video for yeah, it? Yeah. Pentatonix oh. did a version of it, too. It's pretty good with Lindsay that, Sterling. That's how I first found him, and I like yeah. his version better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, and and the music video is just so good, because I, I didn't know what any of that meant, but I could tell after watching that video. I was like, it's perfectly clear what's going on here. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I speak French, so it's like the line where he says, everyone knows how to make babies, not everyone knows how to make a father. I was like, oh, damn, <gasps> I like it, heart. I like it. That's a solid point. Here on, and that, here on political... Perfect our, example uh, of yeah. telling stories oh, there in you the go. world. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> Using visual cues. <laughs> Is the P in RPGX for political? Uh, no, it's for Papa Ute. Papa Ute. <laughs> really good song. Roll Papa Ute games. <laughs> That's, I, that I sounds I'm, really I'm weird. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that works. <laughs> All right. Shouldn't have said it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to take that back, please. <laughs> uh, editor, will you please delete that from the record? Craig! Craig! <laughs> Craig, you back. stop listening! <laughs> Close your ears, Craig! <laughs> I'll have to make sure some Craig stuff comes out in outplay. <laughs> that way, nobody knows that we recorded this before. <laughs> Yeah. So big antagonists, yeah. Uh, I, I like not having one singular antagonist for a setting. One singular antagonist is fine for a campaign. Uh, maybe a bit narrow from my preference, but certainly manageable. And absolutely nothing wrong with it. But if you have only one antagonist in the world, that is very limited. Um, Definitely, yeah. You want to consider what groups and stuff are doing stuff. Yeah. Like even if you look at Middle Earth, and Lord of the Rings, Sauron is the main antagonist for a number of the big stories, but he's also not the only antagonist, right? Yeah, yeah. You have your definitely. various uh, witch kings and orcs on different levels of, of, uh, of evil, and certainly Sauron wields influence over many of the other lesser villains, but if it were just Sauron, then the stakes of that indicate that once you have defeated him, the world is good and at peace. And maybe that makes for a nice fairy tale, but in an RPG, it also means that there's no further stories to tell other than if you decide to become rescue rangers and uh, look for people in forest fires and avalanches to, to rescue, you know? Definitely. And I actually, I think we talked about that last week as well, how oh, a single person being the antagonist is it's limited. bad if it's all that's there. And I like I actually like the Sauron example because Sauron basically acts as the linchpin for all of the bad to band together. Mm-hmm. And when you when you get rid of him as the main antagonist, you don't have a good world. You have evil more dif- diffuse among the world and in smaller groups. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of cool. I I think I like those kind of stories where someone gains too much power and is able to subdue or eliminate other people, and so they become a threat. And so you can't just churn through the their people to get to them. You have to find a way to get to them indirectly. I think um, if you look at the recent Wonder Woman movie, the recent the Wonder Woman movie, yeah, I like that it's kind of an inversion of that because all along Diana thinks Ares is the bad guy, and once you destroy him or send him away, then there will be peace. And she finally beats him, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's a temporary reduction of hostilities, but the war continues because people are still, depending how deep you want to go, but people are still evil or petty or selfish, and there continue to be aggressions, you know? Yeah. I feel like the Wonder Woman movie did very well until they revealed that, oh, well, Hades actually has been behind everything and pushing and pulling the strings. Kind of. What? What oh, did I say? Uh, Hades. Yeah. No, oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah. Ares. What a uh, Hades is the good guy. <laughs> Not in that movie, just in general. <laughs> Sorry. Sure. <laughs> I'm all over the place. Yeah. No, but I mean, you can see where Ares would have a vested interest in continuing the war. So for sure, right. he would use his position or create a position where he can use his influence to make the war bigger or last longer, for sure. 
Um, yeah, well, it just, it was one of those things, because they even, after he's beaten, they even cut to, if I'm remembering the movie correctly, they cut to a shot where people are kind of like putting down arms and there's peace talks. And yeah, the war does continue at some point afterwards, but there is a clear, clear reduction. showing. Yeah. It's like it reduced the, at least the local area, the hostility in that, in that local area. But, uh, you know, just the timing of the movie, the war still continues after that. I think that movie would have actually benefited a lot more from not even making that comparison. Like, it, there should be no reduction. Like, they have this really cool thing where it's like, no, Hades hasn't been doing it. People just suck. And there's variation in all of them. And that would, that would have been a cool thing for her to realize. And then for Hades to come out like, no, it was really me. Ha <laughs> ha! I was like, oh. Yeah, there are a number of ways to do it, let alone the CGI garbage fight at the end. I love the well, movie, but the fight just it takes you out of the movie. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the danger of having people on that power scale fight. But you won't have that when you're role-playing world. Definitely uh, because not. Because you have a bit more uh, agency and influence <laughs> in that. Wow, we are not anywhere close to on topic, are we? What's a topic? Um, that's so, what you so put on a pizza. One thing. I'd like a large three-topic pizza. One thing that I saw called out on the site uh, yeah. recently was either it, this is sort of why I put this in here but the idea of a single big antagonist or an event that's going to result in the destruction of the world okay or like massive wars mm-hmm. can feel either overdone can feel tropey and or can feel like it doesn't make any sense and I I think we sort of covered why some of those things can't make sense if they're the only thing happening. Yeah. Right? Like you're talking about a war. Because, I mean, if you look at Earth, there's never a point in history when there has not been a war going on somewhere. So war is, like, peace is not sort of the default state for humanity, realistically. Oh, no. So having wars in your game, if anything, is more realistic, but... Um, it's it, it's all on how you're going to approach that war. Like if it's an immediate battle, like uh, you're dealing with uh, Romans against uh, the, the you know the the Gauls, then it's a much more intimate affair than say World War Two, where you have it on a vast scale. At which mm-hmm. point it ceases to become a singular war and more almost an environment of war. Like it's it's an environmental effect. There's battles here. There's battles there. It's affecting economies. It's affecting supply chains. So, I mean, I would say if you're going to include wars, just think about what that implies on the broader scale. Yes. Yes. And and I think I think the idea there was you don't want a war where it's one nation, one evil nation waging war on the whole world or slowly taking over the whole world. Because, again, just like with all the other stuff, one single point of failure is is not a good thing. And honestly, that becomes less of a war story and more of an invasion. Um, right. I'll be honest with you. I've done that. I have, um, and, and probably most people have done it at some point or another. But I've oh, successfully yeah. done it with an invasive species on on my homebrew world, where basically they emerged from the sea somewhere uh, seventeen years ago, and they started waging a war against everybody, taking no prisoners with a technology far above what the mortals on this world possessed, and no no means of communicating with them. They just started killing everyone, forcing everyone in all of the nations to retreat so i had it as a singular uh, immediate antagonist you know there are other antagonisms in the world but this was the one unifying threat um but then it stopped being just a one conflict it becomes like i say uh, a whole environmental factor where now this means that everybody's in retreat this means that the the yon have to ally with the the elves you know, this is a situation where your resources are now impacted. You can't get all the same things. Shipping routes have closed uh, all over that coast. You know, you can do yeah. these, but just stop and think about what it means. Because if it's just a single battle on these single planes, that's a pretty limited picture of what a war is, even if you're dealing with a medieval fantasy. And all that's kind of thrown to the wayside if you're dealing with a science fiction game where, um, you know, you've got cyber espionage or... Uh, orbital warfare and stuff where it's gonna you honestly when you're dealing with wars just stop and think about what that means all around because a war is not just a battle 
is not just a gunfight in the plains of Afghanistan. It's Definitely. all of the politics. It's all of the supply and logistics issues. It's all of the people back home and the emotional impact, you know. And, and in the, the Dragon Mech setting, you know, the, the big thing, if I remember correctly, is like pieces of the moon start raining down and they bring oh, like moon dragons and all sorts of things that are horrible. Okay. And so you have this introduction of a new threat that's wrecking the world. And so part of the their response is to create these massive moving cities and you get evil races living and working beside normal races right. because they have to survive against this bigger, horrible threat. And that's the I, I talked about the mimic city before from there where they kind of the mimics are evil <laughs> and codified evil in the books. But in the face of this new threat where everything could be wiped out, they've decided to create a symbiosis with people around them. Yeah. So yeah. they take shapes that can be useful. And in exchange, they get to keep living. The it's, enemy of my enemy kind of situation. Yeah. So yeah. if you're going to have a big world threatening war, like King Monkey said, just consider the wider implications and how the the lines of loyalty will fall. Will people try and make peace with these people and, and how will that work out? Or will they flock to the people that they know are good and could save them and try and be like, look, I know we've had our differences, but these dudes these dudes gotta go. And that's that's where the interesting stuff comes from. And especially if you can inject your players into those pivotal moments. You know, you, you come upon a skirmishing band of humans versus these monsters. And obviously, the humans are the ones you're siding against. But the monsters have their hands up and no weapons. And the humans are just kind of pushing them off a cliff. What do you do? <laughs> you know one thing uh, that I don't see enough uh, regard yes, to when but we can't dealing talk about with that wars in, oh. in fantasy settings? Okay, never mind. When you're dealing with like a Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder setting and you've got people at war, I don't think enough people stop and understand just how critical diviners would be. People oh, yeah. with divination magic. If you look at the modern field of espionage and intelligence, there's like a lot of, you know, there's satellite imagery for, for geospatial analysis. You've got cyber warfare and you're always trying to find out the other guy's plans and remote seeing divination magic basically does the same trick. Imagine how important it would be to have a cadre of elite farseers or whatever you want to call them on your team. And then you also have to have counter divination specialists to conceal them from the enemy's diviners. And you have almost a, a cold war going on just between spy agencies who are now not Russians and Americans with, uh, you know, recorders and, and uh, microtapes. This is now wizards and, and that sort of thing, right? Yeah, well, and, and does it play out in a friendly way where they recruit them and pay them and treat them well? Or does it play out in a way like some of the TV shows will show you where someone develops powers, they are taken to a black site and brainwashed or tortured until they are willing to go along with whatever and forced to obey. That there's there's a different way. Of, and, and it's not always the evil guys that do it one way or the other. Like, both sides have these horrible things they can do. Because sometimes, you know, Winning seems like the more important piece, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you could basically have a, a, a fantasy setting spy game with, with that sort of information. You know, fantasy era Jack Ryan. Definitely. And this is a good place to, when your players start interacting with these things, and they start thinking, oh, well, what if we do this? That might counter this. It, that's where you can pull some ideas. Maybe what they pick out to do is something that another faction is doing as well. Maybe what they are trying to stop is what another faction is also doing. So this is where, going back to that first thing. Sending enchanters into the field to gather oh, information, yeah. you know, through yep. illusion or uh, manipulation, stuff like that. Cre creative uses of, of common spells, I always reward. Like I had a player who said they wanted to fascinate a whole crowd because they were a bard. And I said, okay, fascinate doesn't quite work that way, but... Kind of make your perform check, spin out what you want to say, and I'll, I'll tell you how that plays out. And he did all that, had a good kind of thread he wanted to use. I said, okay, you don't literally fascinate the whole crowd, but you get them all in your in the palm of your hand because you pick out key dissenters that you can see aren't winning your, over to your cause. And through what you were already winning through other people and those turning those people, you get them all even better than you would have normally. And 
So, like, in that way, I reward him for doing what he already would do in a greater way than technically he's allowed to do. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're dealing with wars in your campaign setting and you're starting to think of it as tropey, then stop to think about all the peripheral meanings, the peripheral implications to that. Because really, a war is not one thing. It's a whole messy pile of things. And you can make many types of stories out of it rather than just the simple uh, warrior on the front line kind of deal. And I would say a lot of this sort of caveat goes towards fantasy games as science fiction games or Shadowrun and that sort of thing tend to have a lot more of that already baked into it. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I will even say, I think I've said it before and I'll say it again here. If you feel you're getting tropey and you're not liking the direction something's going, try and invert it. You know, if it's if it's a big destruction event, you're like, well, we've already done stuff like this. Well, how can you make suddenly it suddenly peace broke out? Yeah, well, it, it maybe maybe it's prophesized as an ending, and it it's prophesized as a big bad thing, and then you get to the end, and it's like, oh wait a minute, no no, they're they're gonna bring peace and prosperity. Is that something we want to stop? Is that something that's good? Is that going to do it in the right way? Does it mean what we think it does? Maybe it's not destruction. Maybe it's wanton creation, and that could be just as bad. Sorry, do you mean wanton creation, or do you actually mean wanton creation? I said what I meant, and I meant what I said. (laughs) Suddenly, Chinese food starts flooding (laughs) the world. Yeah. Wouldn't that be horrible? (laughs) I mean, yeah, it would wear off. The novelty It's a world-sized wanton, man. In a world where wantons rain from the sky. (laughs) You know, I think um, destruction (laughs) (laughs) I think destruction events, they're very common in a lot of settings. You have your cataclysms, your sunderings, your your whatevers. I don't think those are inherently bad, provided you are able to put a bit of nuance on it. Like maybe preceding the cataclysm, there are differing schools of opinion some people saying this is actually going to be good for us and then you've got the people saying no it's going to clearly be the end of all life you know like if you can have an exploration of what it means to face the end uh then that's that's a that can be a pretty powerful storytelling tool uh there's a canadian movie called last night um which uh canadians it's um basically it's an end of the world movie the tagline is uh it's not the end of the world there's still six hours to go. Basically, <laughs> the idea is it's a drama. People have known that the world is going to end, and they've known for the past six months. Oh, geez. So basically, you've got people now on the last day trying to f- do everything they can before the inevitable end. You've got one family that's having Christmas dinner every night, uh, even though it's slightly driving them nuts, and because they're trying to force as much family connection and love out of the situation. You've got one guy who's trying to have every kind of sexual experience he can have before time is done. You have one character who's only ever known working for the gas company who spends every day until the last day reminding everyone that calls in, yes, your power will be on until the end. So the story doesn't need to be about the destruction event if you tell the story about the people facing the destruction event, you know? Yeah. Deep impact, right? It's less about the meteorite or asteroid. It's more about the people and how they face it. Not Armageddon, though. That's pretty... Armageddon out of here. Armageddon's <laughs> pretty clearly about the destruction event and how you can blue-collar your way out of it. So, yeah, destruction events, very tropey, but just that means look at it a bit further. I mean, maybe if it's too tropey for you, just don't include it. Maybe it's a prophesized destruction event that doesn't happen. I, d- I did that in World of Darkness. Yeah, may- maybe that's what they learn is that the prophecies are all yeah. kind of jumbled up and think they got it wrong. I did that for World of Darkness, a joint uh, vampire and werewolf game where basically everything was sort of geared up towards 2000 being the thing, the Gehenna, the Apocalypse, the Ascension, whatever. But then 2000 rolled around and it didn't happen. So all of this machination like in real life. Done. Yeah, basically. But basically <laughs> all these all this machination of centuries or millennia of planning and all this tension building towards nothing. And then what does that mean? If you're a society that's been a doomsday society for a thousand years with the vampires, what happens when your doomsday comes and goes 
and it meant nothing. What does that mean? What was mean? that? Oh, it was Flash Forward, that show where they, they got yeah. a view of the future in the 20 event. or in six months or something like that. Something like that, yeah. And and so they were all waiting for it, and they were all planning for it. Like, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? And then it turned out that they all just kind of decided to wait, and that's what they all saw anyway. And it's like, well, that's – I mean, that's maybe what you see is what you bring about. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Or, or, or in the the Shakespearean classic by Nick Cage, Next, where he can see a minute into the future, and his whole phrase is, "I can see into the future, but the thing about the future is, it when you look at it, it changes." It's pretty deep. It's pretty deep. So deep, man. <laughs> but I always love the way he used that ability because, like, he used it to search a whole boat. You know, essentially by going one oh, direction yeah. a minute at a time, which yeah. I'm like, yeah, if if you're seeing all that and you can rewind to that instant, then yeah, that's a perfect way to do it. I'm going to go left and then I'm going to go right. And whichever one I don't die doing is the better one. Now, here's the thing where you realize you have a gamer on the plot. Can he look forward into the future to see himself looking forward into the future? He, he has to be because he definitely searches a lot further than he, he would move in a minute. Yeah, yeah. That's gaming the system right there. That's prime RPG stuff. I wish for more witches, basically. Well, talking's a free action, right? Okay, well, I want to use this 30-minute speech, because it's a free action. It's like, dude, dude. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> Speaking a line is a free action. Soliloquizing is not. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and a round is only six seconds, so give me six seconds of that speech. Thou nature art my god. Oh, uh, Next. <laughs> I had a lot more about Edmund and Edgar and I, oh. And, you know, tools and stuff for randomly generating events and quests and all that stuff, we use on the show. So I'll drop some of those in the, um, the for the show the, notes. The, the, you'll drop it in the, 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 the show, the, notes. show notes. Excuse me. And then, like, yeah, you can you know, it's, look it's, for it's, anything. Honestly, I used to think of it as a bit of a cop-out, but now I realize that just seeing someone else's idea is the same mm. thing as uh, brainstorming, where someone's going to give you an idea that you might not have thought of yourself. And it's not just appropriating that idea, it's figuring out how that integrates or whether it sparks another idea on your own. Mm -hmm. So sometimes even just visiting these generators just to get a random thing and then just see what that conjures in your mind. Well, and look at how many times we take a a random generic idea, spin spin something out, and then we generate the next thing. We're like, oh, look, that actually fits in perfectly this way. The elves. And, And so... It's all the elves, man. <laughs> They're behind everything. It's just in working with it and comparing it to other things or trying to fit it into yeah. other molds that you realize how things can work. So it's it's never stealing, even though that is the prime motto of a DM. Yeah, it's never stealing. Mine. It is borrowing and reconfiguring. Yeah, for sure. I mean, ultimately, let's look at it realistically. Are you or am I ever going to come up with a 100% original idea no no almost, oh, i mean I, will. I almost no one in the world at this point is capable of coming up with a 100 percent original story that's just not the way it works you know i mean you did write dracula look i i'll admit <laughs> that i did base it on, on folklore so while i of course 100 percent came up with that individual story it nonetheless adopted the spirit of stories that had gone before Thus, I have the twin victories of having created it and it being completely original and being right in this current conversation. Loophole, son! Loophole! I think that about closes us out for our world-building segment. We didn't cover, I, I think, as much this time around. Just more, here's ideas, here's how it can be used differently. It, it's more of a... I mean, it's like everything we try and do. It's more of a Swiss Army knife. Pull out what you need. Find the ideas that work for you. If none of it sounds right, pick out a piece and be like, okay, that's wrong. Here's why it's wrong. Here's how I want to do it differently. That works too. As long as you get where you need to go, we've done our job. Yeah, I mean, just look at the tool that you've got. Take Whoa, it out and play with that's it. That's mean. And then you come up with something that's... Oh, I thought you were calling us tools. What? No. Okay. Not us. Not us, okay. Simi. I see. Yeah, continue on. Sorry. Playing with your tools. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Now take them out and play with them. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right? And then see what, see what, just see what happens when you do that. <laughs> and it's Tell not me. that. <laughs> We're going to 
segue right out of that into Adventure Assemble! I'm assembling the adventure I don't know what's coming next I've had no luck at all My dice must be hexed Anyway, here we go. I thought you were going for a more you know rock what? thing, One of these... and then you kind of you got, no, you no. got the, the rhythm going, and I, I got it. I think one of these days I'm actually going to plan something in advance, <laughs> and it's going to work out terrible, and I'll feel I'm actually awful, impressed you haven't planned any gonna... of these. <laughs> yeah. your, your, your words tend to go pretty well together. I yeah, mean, not always. Not you always, stumble sometimes, no. but sure. I, I, I make you sound good either way. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, you fix it in post. You fix it in post? Craig, yeah. <laughs> make sure you fix it in, is it in post. <laughs> so, when oh, last we left our story, there was a big old hole that was used to be full of water, recently emptied. There were aquatic ogres, or aquogers, that had lived in there, had come out to try to figure out what's going on. Where all the water go? They've They've been convinced that they did something to cause this problem. And an elf actually has shown up to, to try and help them. But there's a conflict there because the Aquogers have been made to believe that's, that there's other people trying to take advantage of them by our old friend from a few months ago. Way, way, way gone. Yeah. Another elf from a different faction within the elves called Varial. And you'll remember him as the elf who tricked Edric into marrying the nymph bandit queen so that he could steal the slab of malediction during their wedding ceremony. You got that slab. Which, which which has caused Edric a lot of heartache because she didn't believe him at first, and then he has been struggling with having lost his wedding ring into a not too not too similar version of Mount Doom. It totally different, obviously. Legally distinct. <laughs> yeah. Version of Mount similar Doom. but legally distinct. <laughs> and and in this, in this trying time, who should we find walking upon this tangled web but the Bandit Queen herself? Please give us her name again. Healthily. Healthily. The Nymph Bandit Queen. In a world where elves struggle to dominate and manipulate the very fabric of reality, one woman stands alone. With her friends. <laughs> to with, make a with, difference. With her human friend and companion currently, Belor the Rogue. Belor. Right. That, that, that's just his title. People call him Belor the Rogue. He's not actually a rogue. He's just some guy that was on a farm. Wasn't it she's a like, she? hey. Wasn't it a she? Was it a she? Hmm. I, mean, I, I just suppose, have rogue human I companion. suppose I could scroll up, but it seems... No, I, I don't think I wrote he or she. Oh, I just okay. wrote Belor the Rogue. Gender neutral. <laughs> Gender neutral rogue. The, the reason those two end up involved in this conflict is because they come upon a dead body of a knight of a holy order mm. who has been whose body is possessed by a ghost. <laughs> he, a dead body possessed by a different ghost. Yeah. <laughs> who sends them along the way saying, hey, uh, stuff's going down over there. You might want to intercede or it's going to go bad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's where we... Was that the body... Was the body or the ghost an elf? Like, we found out that there was a different faction among the elves. We've got the elves who are working towards nefariousness, and then there was It was Varial who killed this knight, because they were sending people to try and help the Aquogers, and Varial is the one who sabotaged things. And he didn't want them to get help, he wanted them to feel isolated and alone, and he hadn't yet planted the seed, so he kills this dude, and... We decided it was this, it was Casido's, the knights, Casido's ghost, like haunted dude, that actually had said, hey, uh, this is important, you should check it out, was killed for it, and then that ghost who is apparently attached to this body, or something on the body, is the one who informs Healthily and Belor that, hey, uh, there's something over there, you should go check it out. So Healthily and Belor are on their way to investigate when they come across the Aquogers and the Elf. Yes, of of maybe a different faction, not immediately apparent. And I think the first the first order of business 
is to keep things from escalating to a full-on fight because that'll make figuring out what's going on important. And there may be, I I think the consequence of failure here is that Healthily and Belor side with the Aquogers and kill this elf. Okay. Who who we metagamingly know is on the good side, but in game, there's a lot of suspicion there. Yeah, for sure. You never can never trust an elf. So why don't you give me a D twenty roll, and we'll All see right. if, how that plays out. Oh, that's a lot of dice. Right. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> one D twenty, just one, just one, just one die, and I can hear a bell ring. All right. I am taking the milky green one with golden enumeration. Nobody asked. It, it, I don't know. It felt like it felt nymph bandit queeny to me. Uh, but we rolled a nine. Okay, so so I think we fail, but not total. So I think we we wound the elf, but just before he dies. Like I think it's a fatal wound, but it's not an, an immediately fatal. And just before he dies, he says, beware the elves. And that is a weird thing. For an elf to say. It's it's atypical for an elf to warn against his own people, for sure. Right. And so I think that, that he had information that could have helped us along the way. And I think that's going to hurt us in the long run. But it gives us just a little bit of a hint. So that if we see Varial and he tries to give us the, the talk around, we're not going to immediately fall for it. Okay, all right. So with that vague warning in place, um, Healthily and Belor will continue into the thing, into the uh, the open chasm or the uh, the shaft of the drainage uh, aqueducts to pursue the ogres to try and uh, speak with them, to try and figure out what's going on in this place, what information they have. Yeah, because because the hope is here is to figure out what's going wrong and see if we are able to fix it. And also maybe figure out why are the elves so interested? Yeah, they... definitely. All right. So All right, I'll give you a roll. Yeah. Oh, I have to hit stop. Oh, because I didn't grab my dice. You ro- your die roller doesn't stop until you tell it to stop. <laughs> this one doesn't. It's interesting. Calculator.net for all your random dice rolling needs. Interesting. Okay. You can put in whatever you can put in whatever side you want, and however many of them you want. Interesting. Well, I'm glad that I'm not rolling. I just got a one. <laughs> I got well, perfectly. I got a nineteen. <laughs> oh, there we go. Together, we got a natural twenty. Look at yeah, that. exactly. Fantastic. So, with a nineteen, with a nineteen, I think healthily and Belor come across a party of the Aquogers. Three of the Aquogers, and these Aquoger women are looking at the mechanisms that they have long worshipped without understanding and recognize that they have been clearly sabotaged. (laughs) Oh, snap! Yeah, like, they they can tell it's not working anymore. You can tell it's not working and you can tell that the Aquogers are desperately worried about this because the water level is continuing to drain. And if it continues to drain, eventually their further subterranean territory will become entirely dry. And they need the water for uh, for their uh, agriculture, their kelp farms. And they like, oh, they love little, they, they also breed these little seahorses as snacks. Oh, so delicious. You just <laughs> marinate them with oh, a little you can't, uh, you can't spicy and marinated. You can't cute sne- mm. seahorses as snacks? And they're crunchy, just a little. Oh, jeez. Uh, you're a monster. Chicken wings of the sea, we call them. <laughs> Breaded chicken wings of the sea. So with that communication established and with the stakes clearly defined, I, I think that's when Healthily and Belor kind of delve into the inner workings. They get permission and delve into the inner workings a little more because, you know, between them, they understand a little bit about how mechanical things work. They think maybe they can help. And and that's that's unfortunately where Varial is waiting because he saw this as an eventual outcome when he saw the elf combat take place. And so he had found another way in, which is how he got in and out initially in sabotage things. He knew where they had to go and he's waiting. And... I think that's where Healthily puts the pieces together and is like, holy crap, I remember you. She sees Varial and the camera zooms in quickly and she's like, you! And her hair, she has like full-bodied lustrous hair and it just 
shakes as she sees him. She narrows her eyes and the focus softens ever so slightly. I should never have doubted Edric. You'll pay for his betrayal! And I think it's a it's a race against time while B-Lore tries to fix things and Healthily is trying to hold him off because he's going to be able to permanently sabotage it if they give him too much time. And Healthily is angry, you know. And you bro, she's a, she is a bandit queen. She did not get... It is not an honorary rank. She knows what she's doing with a cutlass and a whip because those are totally the weapons that I planned all along for her to be using. <laughs> So why don't you give me a roll? Since I mean, healthily is your your baby. Let me let me see what you got. I'm gonna switch over to this sort of uh, latte colored one. Eleven. Hmm. Eleven. Success, but at a success, cost. but at a cost. Okay, okay. So I see the cost. It can be two things. It can be it can be a horrible wound on healthily. Like I think she's gonna survive. <gasps> she loses an eye, and then she has to wear an eye patch. Well, that's not a horrible wound. That's an awesome wound. But the other side of that, it could be she manages to kill Varial, like, outright, so they get no more information about what's going on. And she also gets a wound to the eye? Well, I mean, she can put the eye patch on either way. I, I think I think the cost is either I think the cost is either a, a maiming wound to her or the loss of this potential source of information. You know what? I think it's a maiming wound to her because that way Varial is able to escape and continue the plot. Oh, you want him to plot. escape? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, she's yep. slashed across the left eye. Her beautiful brown eye just uh, slashed. But she doesn't whine and complain about it. She's a bandit queen. She handles it like a boss. Like ah. Uh. I kind of imagine it as her seeing that she ha- she can make this opening if she leaves something of herself vulnerable and that so she takes the the wound in order to disable him enough that he has to leave. Yeah, yeah. She sensed that Varial was possibly a better fighter than she. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, she made a desperate gambit. She took the injury in order to injure him pretty grievously so that he would flee, but it hurt. It hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. All right. So then the last bit of this, go ahead and tell us how that's going. She returns to Belor, and Belor has been struggling trying to understand this technology, this weird mechanisms of a, from a time long ago. She, um, she understands the basics of mechanisms, and she's studied lockpicking extensively, and as well as trap engineering. So she knows the, many of the basic concepts of machinery. She's not familiar with like water pumps and that kind of thing. But she believes that she may have figured out how to repair it and how to reverse it so that it will start to, um, well, I guess it wouldn't just magically refill the place. Uh, maybe, maybe think... not, maybe not instantly, but I feel like it would be it would quicker than the they expect. Yeah, I, I feel like it would refill and... faster than they expect. So they have to fix it and get out in enough time because they were able to make their way down slowly. But as things start filling up, because it's built to fill this place up. And hold it at that level. Right. For mysterious, unknown plot purposes. Yes. Definitely. So B-Lore totally has to be able to fix it and get out in time. And she tells Varial to go on ahead, I assume. Or Oh, no, she's evil. Yeah, she tells Elthily to go on ahead, but she's evil, so maybe she doesn't give her. No, actually, she's being paid to keep Varial safe. No, no, not Varial. Healthily and B-Lore. And I feel like the way you narrated it, I feel like Healthily is the one who knows exactly what to do. And so they have to kind of work in tandem with her leading it, maybe. Okay. And so I'm rolling to see if they can fix it and get out, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So let me hit my random number generator. I swear I just saw 40 and on this 1 through 20 generator. Yeah, no, that's probably unlikely. Let me hit stop. I rolled a natural 40. <laughs> I got a 14. Mm. Ooh, success, success, but, at, but a at a cost. What does that look like, King Monkey? Um, I think that. Oh, should we go super dramatic? Oh, go go all ham, man! They manage to get the device fixed, and soon the water starts to churn in, but at an unanticipatedly high rate. And the two of them are forced to make a dash towards the exit, but the large opening has been is now starting to contract like an iris, closing oh, in order no. to seal the water within and. Healthily 
hurls, uh, takes Belor and throws her up, and she's trapped behind the door. Oh no! Oh will, no! Will she drown? Maybe. Belor maybe. doesn't know. And, or maybe maybe she'll be able to find the way Varial escaped. I, I, wow! Yeah. Good. Yes. So maybe who knows? Maybe Belor will be the the hero of the next one. We don't. <laughs> Healthily's. We don't. No fate one possibly is can know. Certainly not us. This this is a perfect. This is a perfect. The end? Question mark. The end. Well, yeah. That is an awesome little one-shot peek at what Healthily's been doing in this in the background while Edric's been yeah, traipsing around. Traipsing. So, oh, and he, he does traipse actually. <laughs> Trapes oh, yeah. and sachets across <laughs> yeah. the world. I don't, I don't doubt for a second. I could see him when no one, he thinks no one's oh, looking, yeah. skipping a few times. It's time to traipse. <laughs> it's traipsing time. I think that wraps yeah. us up for the day. I have nothing else to say to you. <laughs> so much. So we are done. Yeah. <laughs> we <Okay>. done. <laughs> Go away now. Bye. This is a pretty poor pop filter for holding back my plosives. They are everywhere. It's great if you want to pick up a career as a beatboxer, though. <laughs> no? Yeah, I just needed to soften them a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this distraction has been brought to you by Totally Simmy and definitely King Monkey. Absolutely. 103%. So beyond and, the... And so you yeah. We're both You've resuming at the ad- same time. Are we then? That's it? Okay. <laughs> We're good.